You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. Today's scripture will come from Matthew, Matthew 6, 14 to 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. Good to be with you as we get ready to dive deep into this short passage. Um, My name is Will, if we've never met before. Thank you so much for joining us. We're, We're glad that you're here. Uh, let me just invite you to bow your heads. I, wanna, I just want you to hear these words out of uh, Hebrews chapter four. It says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. What you can be sure of just a moment ago as that scripture was read is that, yes, you were hearing a human being speak those words, but what we've just heard is nothing less than God himself speaking to us, speaking to us about forgiveness And I think there's probably a propensity in a lot of us right now to harden our hearts and say, no, that doesn't apply to me, or what about this situation? Let's just pray together right now that God would soften our hearts and that we would invite him to speak to us about this critical area. So God, we just take a deep breath, we relax. We recognize that you're a good father. You only speak words to us that will help us to flourish, help us to live as you intend us to live. In this discussion about forgiveness, you're not wanting to take away from us or um, uh, hurt us. You're wanting to heal us. You're wanting to add wholeness and health to our lives. And so I pray today uh, that we as your people, as we hear your voice, would not harden our hearts, but that we would receive from you, God. Your word is indeed in this moment living and active. Your word is alive and we need to hear it. And so speak to us, we pray as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So by way of reminder, we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount. We're in chapter six. We're focusing on this big theme that basically over a group of people, what would it look like if Jesus was king over a group of people? That would be called the kingdom of God. What would their lives look like if they were living under his authority and uh, following in his example? That's what the Sermon on the Mount illustrates for us. And chapter six kind of has this broad theme, and we find ourselves this morning on basically a sub-point of a sub-point of the broad theme. So let's remember what chapter six is about. Chapter six of of the Sermon on the Mount is, uh, at least the first half of it, is about not doing spiritual things or righteous things before the eyes of people in order to get attention from them. So it's all under this heading in the beginning of the chapter, verse one, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to what? In order to be seen by them. So he hits that theme and then he applies it to giving. Hey, when you give your money to the poor, don't do it to be seen. And then when you pray, don't do it to get attention from people, do it to get attention from God. And then as he's talking about uh, using our prayer to get attention from people, he's like, oh, by the way, I recognize communicating with God is very difficult for you. So when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay, so we talked about uh, giving before people. We talked about prayer before people. Now let's go into fasting before people. Actually, wait, hold on one second. Before we move any further, you know that piece in the Lord's Prayer where I said, forgive others as, uh, or uh, forgive us our sins as you forgive others? Hey, I really mean that. So much so that I'm going to say the following. For if you forgive others their trespass, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will, will your Father forgive your trespasses. Why does here, instead of moving on to the next conversation about fasting? I think it's because of all the things the Lord's Prayer calls us to as followers of Jesus, this point about forgiveness is the hardest one. This point about forgiveness is really, really difficult. But what we have to understand this morning are two important points. Number one, your forgiveness is of great importance to the Lord Jesus. And your forgiveness is something that is also very, very difficult for us. What the Lord wants us to be recognizable by, known for, seen as, are people who extend grace people who let go of grievances and burdens, people who offer kindness even when it's not forgiveness. God wants us to be a forgiving people, and yet that's near impossible for us even on minor offenses, let alone when someone has done something to us that's devastating. Even basic areas where we've been offended, we struggle deeply to let those things go and forgive. But the good news for us this morning is that even in the midst of our struggles with forgiveness, which we all struggle with, the Lord doesn't just say to us, hey, it's hard, figure it out anyway. Man, in the gospel, in the good news of Jesus, we actually have everything that we need to forgive as Christ calls us to forgive. And so let's, let's consider this passage together. Uh, three questions this morning. Number one, what is Jesus saying here to us about forgiveness? Because this is a very... Number two, I want to I talk with you uh, about this. How do we actually forgive? What does that process look like to forgive people? And then finally, three, given that this is really hard for us, I want to ask why we should forgive. I want us to find some motivation to actually engage in forgiveness, okay? So number one, what is Jesus saying here about forgiveness? Number two, how do we forgive? And then number three, why should we forgive? Let's dive into that first question. Um, this is a hard passage. Here's what it sounds like Jesus is saying in this passage. You earn God's forgiveness of your sins by the way you forgive other people's sins. What it sounds like is being said here is that uh, forgiveness is something that we merit or achieve on our own. I mean, listen to it one more time. If you forgive others their trespasses, your, father will, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. 
Is Jesus teaching us here that we earn God's forgiveness by us extending forgiveness to people? No. That goes against the most fundamental thing we preach here every single week. Every single week, we preach to people who are walking with Jesus and people who are not. The only way you can ever have a right relationship with God is not based on what you do, but what Christ has already done. We preach every single week, no matter who you are, no matter what gift that you do not earn. Let me read a couple passages that hit this point crystal clear. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. New City received these words, for by grace you have been saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith of works so your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because mercy. That is the fundamental thing we preach and believe every week here at New City. You do not earn God's forgiveness by extending forgiveness. But, but, there is an inseparable and I do mean inseparable link between us receiving forgiveness from God and then extending that forgiveness between other people. Let me say that one more time. We do not earn our forgiveness through forgiveness, but there is an inseparable link between us receiving forgiveness from God and then extending that same forgiveness to those who sin against us. In other words, you cannot receive God's forgiveness without also extending that forgiveness to others. One will most certainly flow from the other. So just imagine this with me. Imagine this morning I have a, a cup up here. It's one of those red cups like you used to use in college, those instances where you yourself needed forgiveness. And uh, let's just say, what will happen if I begin to pour water into the top of that red cup? Without question, that water is going to flow from the downward trajectory that it's being received outward through the hole of the cup. Now, did the hole in that cup cause the water to fill the cup? No, it didn't. But you can tell that water has now entered the cup. Why? Because it's flowing out of the side. In the same way, your forgiveness does not cause God to forgive you, but you can most certainly tell that you have received forgiveness by it now being extended out to other in, it's going to come out. And so you could say, if water is not flowing out of this cup, that must mean water is not flowing into it in the first place. Now, that's not to say that there might be some things that block up the flow from time to time that we have to deal with, or that maybe it's a cold day and things need to warm up a little bit so that uh, water will, will begin to flow through it again. That's not to say sometimes there's not some work to do, but we can confidently say that with a holy cup, if water is going in, it will flow out. So it is with holy people, if you will, 
If God's forgiveness is flowing in, it will most certainly also be flowing out to others. There is an inseparable link between the forgiveness we receive and the forgiveness we extend to others. I want you to see with me Jesus illustrating this point really powerfully over in Matthew chapter 21. I want to invite all of you to turn over there. Matthew 21. If you struggle with forgiveness, so did Peter, Jesus's first and pre, like, uh, premier disciple. Peter struggled with it as well. And I want to look at a conversation that unfolds between Peter and Jesus and look at a story Jesus tells to help us understand how forgiveness works for God's people in his kingdom. So beginning in verse 21, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Matthew 18, 21. That's what I want to look at you, with you all this morning. I'll give you a second to turn over there. All right, verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will, I, uh, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Three strike rule. Seven, I think Peter thinks he's being really radical here. I mean, not like twice, three times, not a three strike rule. Seven times, Jesus responds. I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some translations could put it 70 times seven. The point being, no, Peter, there's not. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to it. Began to settle. One was brought to him that owed him 10,000 talents. So there's a king and a bunch of people owe him money. And so he's going out to them one by one to collect the money that's owed to him. And we're already here beginning to understand what forgiveness is all about. Forgiveness happens when someone owes you something, okay? Something was obligated or owed to you that you didn't receive. One of these servants owed him 10,000 talents. Not to do all the math, but in modern times, this would be the equivalent of millions of dollars. This servant who just makes an ordinary income owes this king millions of dollars, which proves to us this wasn't just a run of bad luck. This wasn't just unfortunate, man, yeah, you lost your job and some difficult things happens, happened. This is outright negligence to the highest order. This is irresponsibility with money to the degree of the United States government. This is high-level uh, negligence and irresponsibility, which means this servant has no excuse. And so that's what he owes, and he better panic because of it. Verse 25 says, since he could not pay his master, uh, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Out of pity, the master said to that servant, uh, the, out of pity, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. So here's something remarkable is happening. The master is deciding to cancel the debt. That is what forgiveness is. I'm canceling this. You do not owe me. You do not have to pay me back. And please note, it's not like the master just saying, oh, whatever, it's fine, just forget about it, move on. If this were $5, the, the king could say, okay, don't just forget it, let's move on, not a big deal. This is millions of dollars, which means that the king is deciding to say, okay, I'm not gonna make you pay me back, but what that means is I'm going to experience the loss of this instead of you. It's not like nobody pay, pays. When forgiveness takes place, it's the offended that pays. And so the king is saying here, I'm gonna take the cost on myself you're forgiven, you go free. And you would think that, 
I mean, someone who, they are doomed. Millions of dollars they owe to this king. This king has the, the power to uh, throw this person into slavery for the rest of their life, but they've been set free. You, think, you would think this person would walk from this encounter the most gracious, tender-hearted, forgiving person in the universe, but let's watch what happens after he leaves the king's presence. And when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And he refused and put him into prison until he should pay the debt. So the servant has just been forgiven, but he finds someone who owes him money and he demands that he pays him. Now note that the money that's owed here, it's not insignificant, okay? So how, how much did it say? It said that, that he owed him uh, 100 denarii. A denarii was about a day's wage. So this is about three months worth of work. If you were to just say, to make math easy, say this guy made $100,000, three months work. This is $25,000 that this guy owes. So it's not like it's a light, trivial matter. I would imagine if someone took $25,000 for you, you would demand repayment take place. I mean, that, that, that's a reasonable thing. It's not insignificant, but it's nothing in compared to what he himself has been forgiven. It's nothing in compared to what he has been forgiven. But there's a disconnect happening here between the forgiveness he's just received for his insurmountable debt and him now uh, extending forgiveness to this much smaller debt. The story goes on. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Verse 32. Then the master, I forgave you all that debt on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? The answer is, of course. How could you receive such mercy and not extend it to people who have offended you? Shouldn't you have extended mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Verse 34, and in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Do you hear how similar that sounds to what we just read back in the Sermon on the Mount? Shouldn't you have had mercy as I had mercy on you? The answer is, of course. How is it possible for this red cup we talked about to be filled with water and it's got a hole in the side of it and to then not be spilling water out on the side? It's not possible. It's not possible to receive this kind of forgiveness from God and then not extend it to others. If you're gonna say to God, there is no way I will forgive in this instance. I think we could just bluntly say, then you ought not ask for forgiveness yourself. That's not how it works. So I think this is what Jesus is saying about forgiveness. He's not saying that it's something we earn, but what he's saying is you can, you can tell. You, you can tell that someone has received God's forgiveness in their life by them now extending that same grace and forgiveness to much smaller sins and offenses that take place in their own. So we've considered what Jesus is saying here in this passage. I wanna move on now and look a little closely at how we forgive. 
Uh, and I think as we talk about how we forgive, it's, it's going to be helpful for us to make some distinctions here, to talk about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. We've hit it what it is briefly. I want to get a, a little more focused, give you a couple definitions. Here's what forgiveness is, and then let's have some clarifiers about what, is, what it isn't. What is forgiveness? Uh, in the book, Peacemaker is a radical decision not to hold an offense against the offender. It means to release a person from punishment or penalty. The Greek word often, most often used to translate to forgive means to let go, release, or remit. Here's another illustration that he used that, that I think is helpful. He says later in, in the book, one author, uh, the same author says that he describes forgiveness as a gift that the offended pays for. You're saying you've done something that has cost me, that has hurt me, but I'm choosing to offer you the gift of forgiveness that I will pay the price for, not you. And in offering that gift, you're saying, I release this from you. I won't hold it against you. I won't bring it up again. You're free from this sin. It's in our past. That's what forgiveness is. Let's have a few clarifiers for what forgiveness isn't. Number one, forgiveness is not saying it's okay or excusing it. That is not what we're saying when we forgive because that's to minimalize and make it seem like what took place isn't a big deal. That's, that's not what we're saying at all. What we're saying is it is a big deal. It did cost me. It did hurt me. I'm just choosing to release you from that to just say to someone, you know, they apologize. Ah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. If someone bumps into you or steps on your toe, just it's fine. Don't worry about it. That's, in that context, it's okay. You don't need to say, hey, you've deeply uh, hurt me, uh, but I'm choosing to forgive you nonetheless. Just let it go. Not a big deal. But if there's legitimate sin involved, then you shouldn't just say, oh, don't worry, it's fine. I think it's actually helpful to say, you're right, like that was costly, that did hurt me, but I forgive you. I forgive you. It's not excusing what happened. Number two, forgiveness, friends, is not a feeling. Forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a decision. It's a choice where uh, I may not feel like doing it all, but I'm making a decision to say, I release you from this. You do not have to pay me back. If you steal $20 out of my wallet, I never carry cash, but just say I did, $20 out of my wallet, I, I can make a decision that says, you do not have to pay me back. You do not have to give me that $20. Now, my, I still feel that. You know, I'm not going to be able to buy something with it. I, I'm, I may still feel the weight of that in my life, but I've still made a decision. It's not a feeling. It's a decision. And then the last key here that is so important to understand is that forgiveness does not equal reconciliation. Can I say that one more time? Forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. You can forgive all by yourself. In the presence of God, you can forgive all by yourself. Reconciliation requires two people. Reconciliation requires that the sin be acknowledged and repented of. And where that's not taking place, then uh, reconciliation hasn't happened yet. Uh, but you can still be free from the burden of carrying that person's debt in your life, even if you've not reconciled yet, even if you're just trying to figure out what that relationship might look like. Uh, but it doesn't mean the same thing. And friends, this is incredibly important, especially important in instances of maybe grievous sin or abuse in your life, okay? So forgiving an abuser does not mean that you are now reconciled and you just go back to the relationship as it previously was. That's not what that means. Uh, it, it means that you are releasing them, uh, seeking to put that thing in the past, but that doesn't mean you just now uh, resume relationships as normal. In repentance, 
It's possible that that relationship may look more uh, like it did before. Maybe not. That requires wisdom to figure out. And that's perhaps a conversation for another day about how we go about reconciliation. The point this morning is simply that you can forgive on your own without there being a fully reconciled relationship. That's what it is and what it isn't. What I want to walk you through right now are an exercise, if you will, that you can engage in on how you can actually offer someone forgiveness. Uh, I, I learned a lot of these steps from Grace Ministries, a counseling, uh, uh, a counseling program in forgiveness. How do we do it? I, just sort of five, five kind of stops along the way that are helpful. Number one is acknowledging the event. What happened? What took place? Acknowledging the event. Number two, this is so important, asking the question, what was lost for me? When we feel the weight of anger or bitterness or grievance, what we're saying is, hey, there was something that I was expecting, maybe something even that I was owed that I didn't get, and, and I, that was lost. There's a, there's a cost that I have now occurred uh, because of what has taken place. What was lost? Step number three, you cancel that debt. You cross it out. This cost me this. I cancel it. I release them from it. They don't have to pay me back. Number four, this is where the power comes from. You take what was lost in that interaction, and you now bring it before the Lord, recognizing, hey, Lord, whatever I lost from this area of unforgiveness, I actually receive exactly what I need from you. I may not get exactly what I want, but I'm going to receive what I need from you. And then step five, that opens you up to now pray, God, could you give me wisdom on how to operate in this relationship? I've canceled the debt. I've looked to you for what it was that I needed. What does it look like for me to now perhaps pursue reconciliation? What does it look like to to wisely engage in this relationship? Not out of grievance, not lashing out, not trying to get repayment, but just wisdom. What does wisdom look like now that I've engaged in forgiveness here? So let me just give you an example, a deep one in my own life. So uh, this is one I've had to work through. I go to (laughs) Chick-fil-A. I clearly say, number one, no pickles, none. Don't don't put them on there. They put them on there. And so number one, I've got to acknowledge the event. I asked them not to put the pickles on there. They did. That happened. Number two, the the cost. What what, what was lost for me? Well, I was hoping that, that they would listen to me that they wouldn't try to poison me, that they wouldn't ruin my afternoon by by putting these on on my sandwich. Like that's that's what I was hoping. Lash out when I ask for my next sandwich and like really like, you know, freak out on them that they don't put it on there. I cancel the debt. And then number four, God, like I wanted them to listen to me, but I actually recognize you always listen to me. And, and, and when I need something, you give me what it is that I need. You're, you, you know, you're a heavenly father that gives good gifts. You're not going to give me uh, poison like, like, like they would. And then number five, God, just give me wisdom now on what it looks like to operate in this relationship. Maybe next time I'm going to come back and not out of unforgiveness, lash out, just say, hey, could you just check one more time? Like, did you confirm that pickles were not? Okay, thank you. Like, I, I, I appreciate that. I'm not, now I'm free from that grievance. I'm free from that burden, right? That, that's a stupid situation. Can I show you a really real one, how Paul operates with these steps in 2 Timothy chapter 4? I think this is so powerful. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. Turn there if you can. I, I want you to see this uh, in, in, in uh, chapter, chapter uh, 4, verse 16 of 2 Timothy. Um, Let me just read it, and I'll explain the context. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, 
but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. What's going on here? Paul's a guy who builds very deep relationships with people. He goes to a place, and in his ministry, he, he builds these incredible relationships where uh, they're experiencing and enjoying the gospel together. Uh, and what happened in Paul's life in this moment is, is actually the worst moment of his life. He's about to die. He was standing trial in a Roman court for his proclamation of the gospel, and he had to give a defense. And what he wanted in that moment, what he expected in that moment. Do you see what he, what he wanted in that moment? Like, man, I've, I've walked closely with these people. My expectation is that there would be people to stand beside me in this difficult moment. You can see the weight of that in this passage. But he says in verse 16, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me. In fact, all deserted me. There I stood on my trial, getting ready to be condemned to death, and I was completely alone. These people I thought were friends didn't even show their faith. Be charged against them. Hey, I expected that they'd be there. I needed them to be there. But I cancel that debt. I'm not going to charge them for it. I release them from it. Now watch where the power comes from in verse 17. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. What I needed was people to my side, by my side in that difficult moment. They weren't there. I needed that, but I forgive them of that. And God, now I turn to you with that need. You gave me everything that I needed in that moment. You were with me. You don't abandon me. You don't forsake me. So now I get my strength to move forward, recognizing that even if people can't pay me back, everything that I have, that I need, is found in you. I think that's the process, friends. Acknowledge the event, acknowledge what was lost, and cancel it. You can even write it out. That's what this counselor suggested. Write it out on a piece of paper, and just like an accountant would, cancel it, and write the date that you canceled it so you know that's been paid. I don't demand payment for that anymore. It's canceled. Turn to God with what was lost, and now that it's canceled, pray, God, what does wisdom look like would you help me to operate in this relationship going forward? What does reconciliation look like? What does it look like to, to help this person in the, in the midst of this loss? Can I just encourage you this week, if there's some areas of grievance, if there's some areas of unforgiveness in your life, to walk out that process. So go step by step. It's, it's one thing to say, like kind of rattle through it in your head, but to actually sit down and say, here's what happened. Here's what was lost. I cancel it. God, I turn to you, and would you give me wisdom in this relationship? Can I just encourage you in the presence of God on your own this week to do that? You may experience more freedom, more life, more joy from releasing those debts than I could begin to describe you to you this morning. What I want to close with then is having looked at how we go about this process or just some, some reasons why I think we should really prioritize forgiveness. If it's not clear enough already, let me, let me just lay out a few more. Um, number one, this is a difficult one, but I, I want to say it and I want to make it clear why. It's an evidence that you have experienced salvation, forgiveness, and extending God's inseparable, inseparable connection between receiving God's forgiveness and extending God's forgiveness. And I think Jesus words this so strongly in this chapter because he intends to. Remember, friends, by grace we are saved through faith, not by our works, but our works are of which forgiveness is included. Forgiveness is a good work that God calls us to. They do not save us, but they demonstrate, they evidence that we have experienced 
God's salvation. As one reformer put it, uh, it is grace alone that saves, or it is faith alone that saves, faith alone that saves you. But faith that saves is never alone. If you've experienced this saving grace in your life, that means you're now going to be extending it to people. And so I'll just bluntly say this morning, if you have no grace for the failings of people in your life, you should ask yourself the hard question, have I ever experienced grace myself? If you have no grace to give, have you come into a place in your life where you receive it? I'm not saying there aren't struggles and it's not difficult. I'm not saying that. In 2 Corinthians, at the end of the book, Paul, Paul in, encourages the church, hey, examine yourself, test yourself, see if you're in the faith. It is possible to be in church environments for a long time and even to be very moral in comparison to the world. But an evidence that you have received God's grace in your life, you've received God's forgiveness in your life is that you now extend it to others. And so I would just invite you to, to ponder that, that question this morning. It is an evidence of your salvation. Maybe in your struggles to forgive, you may actually receive God's forgiveness in your life for the very first time. Hey, here's the second reason why you should forgive people. It's because it glorifies God. It glorifies God, and that is what your life is all about. I really wish relationships were just butterflies and picnics all the time with someone, the longer you're with a church, uh, the more uh, offense, grievance, unforgiveness is going to build up. Now, when relationships get hard in the world, what the world says, it's time to go. When relationships get hard for Christians, it's when we say it's time to glorify God. It's time to glorify God by extending forgiveness in this. This relationship, just like my life, is not primarily about my happiness. My life is primarily about God's glory. So even if this relationship isn't making me happy, that's okay. That's not what this is about. This relationship is about glorifying God. So would you, friends, just see these difficult relationships, these burdens, these areas of unforgiveness in your life, not as a, a problem to avoid, but an opportunity to glorify God as you extend forgiveness. Here's the third reason why you should really prioritize forgiveness in your life. It allows you to live the whole and healthy life that God desires for you. The same counselor that we were talking about this gave me this illustration. It's kind of silly, but it just connects with me with how unforgiveness works. Here, here's how it works. Imagine you, in your relationships, you, know, you, you go in for a hug. Now, most of your pastors would never do that, okay? We're not hug people. One of them might be, but, but imagine you just, you just go in for a hug, and what you receive in return is a rock instead. Somebody just, they don't hug you. They just give you a rock in the place of that extension of a relationship. You've got a rock. Now, you've got to do something with that rock. What are you, what are you going to do with it? Well, the illustration is that, that you have a backpack that you carry, you now take that rock. Maybe it's a little bitty pebble. It's just a little offense. It's a small thing. Or it's a boulder, man. It's something huge that's happened in your life. You end up throwing those rocks, backpack full of rocks before. I don't know why you would. But what's going to happen to you if you're carrying a backpack full of rocks? Aren't you going to be thrown off balance a little bit? Aren't you going to maybe walk with a little bit of a limp? Aren't you going to be held back from running and experiencing life as God would have you? This is where unforgiveness does damage to you, where because 
We're in forgiveness, what we're figuring out to do with all these heavy rocks that have been presented to us relationally, we're finding a, a productive way to deal with them so that we can go on and live healthy and whole lives. Man, some of you today may have some serious relational dysfunction. Like, it is hard for you to connect with people because of this backpack full of rocks that you're carrying that needs to just be laid down so that you can function and operate the way that the Lord would have you in relationships. So it evidences your salvation. It glorifies God. It allows you to just be whole, a whole, healthy human being relationally. And then finally, it sets up a powerful, a powerful encounter with the gospel. Hey, the greatest place perhaps to experience the gospel and its power for yourself is in the midst of your own areas of unforgiveness. Here's how it works. When we're sinned against, we feel the weight of what's happened, and we recognize it is really, really hard to forgive. It's hard. And then you're beginning to encounter just a tiny little fraction of what it was like for God to forgive you. And then the forgiveness that you've received from Christ moves from being just something that exists in your head to something much deeper. When you feel the weight of their sin against you and you hear the call to forgive and you say to yourself, man, I cannot do it. I cannot extend forgiveness in this situation. Then you're reminded, oh, wait a second. What about my sin against a perfect holy God that is a billion times greater than this offense? And yet somehow it's in that moment when you are struggling to forgive because you feel the weight of an offense, but then you remember God's forgiveness of you that the gospel becomes real. It becomes something that you experience, something that you have deep down. And it's in that moment you say, oh, how profound, how marvelous, how incredible must God's love for me be that he could still love me even after I've sinned against him so grievously. And in a far greater manner than I've been sinned against, he's forgiven me. And in that encounter of God's love that forgave you at your worst, you're empowered with the love and grace of God to forgive those who have wronged you. Why does Paul say, forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you? Because in encountering God's forgiveness of you, you will find everything that you need to forgive other people. Let me read for you what Jesus said about this meal we take every week at the end of his life when he was about to go to the cross. Concerning the bread and the cup in Matthew, says that now when they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, here's the key, which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Hey, what you have, if you grabbed one of those communion cups this morning in your hand, is a visible demonstration of what it cost to forgive you. You may have some debts that you're holding this morning that need to be canceled. 
You may need to write off some things of some people that, some things that people have done in your life. I just want to invite you to sit in your seat and to even in this moment to extend some forgiveness privately before the Lord. And if your struggle is the blood of Jesus Christ that was poured out for you, you remember the grace you've received in his body and in his blood. And I, I guarantee you, you will find everything that you need to extend forgiveness to others. It's hard. What it looks like going forward with that relationship is complicated and difficult. But nonetheless, God is calling you to forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. If you're here this morning and you've never experienced God's forgiveness, here's what I want you to walk away with, okay? That story of that servant who owed all that money that he could never pay back, that's you. You have accumulated a debt before a perfect God in all the days of your life by sinning against him. And you could work for a billion years and it would not be enough to pay that debt back. Here's the offer of Jesus to you this morning. I do not care who you are. I do not care what sin you have in your life. I don't care if you've been in church for 20 years or this is your first time stepping foot into a church gathering. This is the offer that Jesus makes this morning. If you will give me your sin, I will cover it. I will wash it away. I will eliminate it forever from my sight by the blood that I shed on the cross. He offers to take your sin from you and to pay for it completely this morning. And the good news we believe is that as he died and paid for your sin, he rose up on the third day to demonstrate what? The debt is paid. It's over. It's finished. You don't owe anything else. You can now have a relationship with God without having to do anything because Jesus paid it all. So this morning, I just want to invite you to receive that offer that offer of forgiveness from Jesus. You receive it by saying, God, I believe that when you died on the cross, you did it for me. I'm always available to talk if you want to talk more about that. But would you in these next moments just contemplate and consider that offer as we get ready to sing and celebrate the forgiveness that's ours through Jesus? Let's pray together. God, you're inviting us this morning into an encounter with the gospel, a living, real encounter with the gospel. As we are sinned against, we are given a, a just tiny glimpse of what it's like when we sin against you. And yet you don't lash out at us. You don't condemn us. You pay for our debts. You pay debts that we owe by dying in our place on that rugged cross. So as we can contemplate that forgiveness, would you now stir us to extend the same grace to the people who sin against us. In Jesus' name, amen.